This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Device Talks Tuesdays, our weekly digital meeting featuring leaders in the medtech industry. Join us on Tuesday, December 8th at 4 p.m. to hear from our friends at ICS. Topic is usability challenges in cutting-edge medical devices and exoskeleton robotics. Go to devicetalks.com to register. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Salami, welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We have a delightful treat for you today. We've got Jeff Martha, the CEO of Medtronic. He's on hand to talk a little bit about their quarterly numbers last week, but more about his path into medtech, how he connected with Omar Ishraq, and how he's guiding Medtronic, how he's leading Medtronic into the future. They announced a significant reorg, talked a bit about that, about what that means for companies that want to work with Medtronic, and what it means for employees working in Medtronic. So great conversation, wrapping up with, uh, I think, a real thoughtful discussion about what it means to be leading a uh, an institution in this day and age. So stay tuned for for that. But first, this would not be a Device Talks Weekly podcast without a podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, the executive editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. Hey, how was your holiday weekend? Great holiday weekend. Looking forward to December. Hard to believe we're in December. and uh, It's amazing. What a year it has been. Now, this has been your first year, first full 12 months or so as executive editor, correct? Yeah, first full first full year as executive editor. And, you know, it was really nice to start out my first year as executive editor in such a slow year. <laughs> really not a much going on, you know, like really, really had to look for news this year. I mean, putting all the, the tragedy aside, and it is considerable, what what has the impact been uh, for Mass Device and for medical design and outsourcing? I mean, it says something that when the pandemic was uh, ramping up, I mean, the uh, the page views for our, our life sciences site uh, skyrocketed up to about a million a month. Wow. Um, and, you know, it's, it's settled down but but yeah, I mean, I think I think we made a, a real difference, like providing some like crucial information for people about uh, you know the technologies rolling out. So well, early on, I mean, tech was certainly in the uh, crosshairs of the president, and also when uh, demands for ventilators uh, became high, certainly there was a lot of focus on that. But but wh- where do you go from here? What does December look like for you? Are you going to go back and uh, identify? Uh, the, the stories of the year. I mean, we're certainly going to do that here on the podcast, but uh, what, what is your process for December? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that will be a, you know, a big thing. I mean, good. Uh, here's a good journalism secret. You know, you notice that uh, journalism sites, when people go on vacation for, for the holidays, uh, roll out retrospectives of the year. I mean, that's a great evergreen mm-hmm. way to end your, end your content for the year. Anyway, it's a good way to look back and kind of take take stock of everything. And, you know, we're, we're starting that process. We're kind of looking at what our tough stories were for the year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, right at the top, COVID, the response to COVID. I mean, that's that's the top story of the year. Everything, 
everything else, you know, is connected to it in, in some way. Absolutely. No, it's been uh, it's been an extraordinary year for me as well. I mean, I joined last November, so not quite what I signed up for. I signed up, up to do the in-person events and we will be doing one, we hope, and it's looking more likely, I think, October 4th and 5th, yeah. Device Talks Boston next year. So that's exciting to, uh, to plan for and we'll have more details on that. But uh, as for the podcast. We're recording this podcast on, on Wednesday and just today, the, uh, you know, the UK approved Pfizer's vaccine. So here we go. And, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, the odds look good that when the FDA advisory committee uh, meets on, you know, December 10th, they'll approve the same vaccine as well. Or I mean, they'll recommend it and FDA will you know, get that authorization out. And yeah, we'll start, start getting a vaccine out. That'll be great news. So this month, we're going to uh, have podcasts up. I think our final one will probably be the uh, the the week before Christmas. So uh, hope folks will uh, subscribe and, uh, and stay tuned. We've got some some great interviews coming up this month. But before we look too far ahead at uh, at December, let's look uh, let's look pa- back just a little bit over the past week and a half. It's time for for the new markers newsmakers. All right, that is uh, taken from uh, Medtronic, courtesy of Medtronic. That's the drum roll they've been playing on their uh, their quarterly calls. Pretty pretty jazzy, right? I like it. It's good. Yeah, I kind of got like a drum Buellcourt thing going on. <laughs> so we're going back a week and a half because we weren't uh, we didn't put anything out last Friday. So uh, let's get into the uh, the number five new markers newsmaker. Well, number five on the list uh, actually goes really well with our, our main interview today, which is uh, you know analysts like we're really happy with uh, Medtronic's Q two results. I mean, you know they you know they beat the the street. You know it looks like you know, they're on track for, you know, growth to kind of normalize in coming months, you know, but kind of the big thing was they had analysts at Jeffries commenting on, uh, you know, what, what, you know, they described as the new tone under, uh, you mm-hmm. know, CEO Jeff Martha, you know, that, you know, that there's a lot more, it's a, it's a lot more competitive, a lot more talking about share taking and, uh, and bold, uh, and bold moves. And, you know, you know, Tom, we should, you know, we should really get Jeff Martha on this, this podcast sometime, I think. I think I'll work on that, Chris. I'll uh, just, yeah. just wait another think- six to seven minutes and, and we'll have him on here. Oh, wow. That was fast. That was great. <laughs> All right. Great. All right. So, there we go. So we're, you know, so that was a uh, number five on the list. Number four on the list, uh, we had, uh, you know, the Victorious Medical Technologies, um, the uh, FDA granted a breakthrough device designation for uh, their uh, left atrial pressure monitoring device. And, you know, this, uh, this system, let me see if I can pronounce it correct, the VLAP, um, you know, they're touting it as the, uh, it's the first digital wireless battery-free device, and it can communicate from deep within the body uh, using high-resolution waveform uh, morphology. Uh, but, you know, this this could be a, a really good, you know, new tool to, uh, you know, help with uh, heart failure management, you know, so it's uh, so a really, really interesting device, really cool device. So. That's great. Yeah, number, number four, and uh, you'll get into number, number three right now, both bringing some really uh, excellent tech into into. Yeah, I mean, number three was G Healthcare, um, you know, touting use of artificial intelligence to help with the uh, placement of uh, breathing tubes for uh, COVID-19 patients. And um, just a just a week or two ago, we wrote a we uh, posted an article off a New York Times story that was kind of commenting on how I mean, we've got all these uh, medical device companies that cranked out like all these ventilators, uh, you know, when the pandemic started. And, you know, now the problem is we've got a shortage of healthcare workers who can you know properly, you know, uh, operate them. You can't just like hook 
somebody up with severe COVID-19 to a ventilator and just flip a switch. I mean, and you really need a lot of adjustments, you know, with, with placement, with, you know, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, so to hear that, you know, GE is bringing AI to bear to, you know, like at least help with the placement of, you know, the tubes. I mean, that, that could, that could make a difference. I mean, especially right now, as we, um, you know, uh, headed to this, uh, this, this dark winter with this uh, huge COVID wave. And if you follow Twitter at all, there are some very tired healthcare professionals out there. Yeah. Who, uh, who have not stopped. So any way you can make it easier for them, is it would be really good. So this, this is good good news article. Absolutely. And many, many thanks to those folks out there. If any of them are listening, thank you for uh, for all you're doing. So yeah, absolutely. Number two, Chris Newmark. Now, number two on the list. Um, it's uh, I, this this story should be familiar to you, Tom. This is uh, <laughs> this is your story. This is a uh, you know something you actually read off of our uh, last podcast uh, when we, you know you had uh, Spencer Styles on. You know, and Spencer's the uh, group uh, president of Strikers Orthopedic and uh, Spine Groups. But I uh, hear you you tell people about this. I will happily pick up that baton, Chris. Yeah, no, it was a it was a great conversation, and it's amazing how this I guess would be considered lower tech. Than, uh, than what we've been talking about previously, given the fact that, I mean, ortho implants, we're talking about hips, we're talking about knees. Spencer's point on the podcast, for those who didn't catch it, was that I had asked him about the, the rise of remote technologies to connect medical sales reps to the OR. His point was that they had tried that, but he's finding the demand for sales reps is actually higher now because what we were talking about just a moment ago, the shortage of healthcare professionals to help with with prepping a patient, with prepping the OR, with getting the right implants, which making sure everything is in place for the surgeon. There's a there's a dearth of those folks. So you, you need the sales reps now, at least in ortho, more than you ever did. So it was a real counterpoint to a lot of the discussions we've had on the podcast and on our other channels, including Device Talks Tuesdays. And it's actually gotten a lot of uh, back and forth, interesting conversation on, on LinkedIn. So- uh, and uh, and number one on the new markers newsmakers list. You know, number one on the list is we got another uh, medtech company going public. Uh, it's uh, Butterfly Network. They had a uh, definitive uh, business combination agreement with Longview uh, Acquisition. So I mean, this this is interesting. This is like a, like a handheld medical imaging tech that they have called the butterfly uh, IQ system. And uh, I, you know, I, I just think, I, I suspect this, I mean, this got like, you know, thousands of, of hits on, on mass devices. Yeah, well, the the specialty purpose acquisition companies are certainly big stories and, and uh, interesting that uh, that one found a medtech company to, uh, to take public. So uh, that'll certainly be one to watch. Excellent. Well, that's a great list. Well, now let's uh, get into our keynote conversation. Chris, you asked for it. You're getting it. It's, he is Jeff Martha, the CEO of Medtronic. Before we get into this keynote conversation with Jeff Martha, the CEO of Medtronic, we're going to hear from our good friends at Delve. President Dave Franchino visits with us once again in this week's two-minute detox. In this segment, Dave Franchino explains how COVID-19 has impacted innovation. Let's listen. I have a colleague who has been saying, if you can't find a problem to solve during a pandemic, you're not looking very hard. And I think that's a really interesting thought when you think in terms of the perspective a lot of companies need to take on revisiting their plans for innovation. The reality is that the pandemic has changed the landscape for product needs and product opportunities a great deal. There are different modalities in terms of the way that products are being delivered, different challenges. Some products are are being rendered obsolete. Other products are becoming kind of more in focus. And so I think one of the techniques that companies would really benefit in using is taking a very critical look at their current product offering and trying to understand how the pandemic 
and tendencies that will survive beyond the pandemic might impact their thoughts and their plans. Obviously, hopefully, some of the aspects of the pandemic will pass and we will return to what might be a more typical or normal state. But there's also fundamental aspects that are going to change and will remain changed to different focuses on social distancing, on telemedicine. And all of those, I think, create opportunities for products. Then maybe the second perspective that companies have taken is, I think what I would might call is more of a business as usual perspective, which is in no way to sort of put your head in the sand relative to the impact of the pandemic, but to recognize that innovation is the lifeblood of all companies, recognize that we'll continue to live in a very competitive space and driving forward with innovation needs to continue apace in order to remain relevant in in the world as it evolves. And so I think balancing those two perspectives, let's take a critical look at the current products and services we're providing, understand how they might need to change to reflect emerging realities in life today. And then how do we not lose our focus in driving forward on innovation because we know that's that's the future lifeblood of our communities. Those are two broad strategies, I think, that have worked very effectively. Thanks, Delve and President Dave Franchino for sharing your thoughts on this week's two-minute detox. For more information about Delve, go to delve.com. If you'd like your story told through the two-minute detox channel, please reach out to me. My email is tsalemi, T-S-A-L-E-M-I at WTWHmedia.com, and I'll put you in touch with the right folks. Now, let us hear from Jeff Martha, the CEO of Medtronic. Well, Jeff Martha, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So you've got a lot to talk about. You had your quarterly numbers this morning, uh, or I should say at this point last week. But first, I always like to just find out a little bit about how folks find their way into medtech. You started right out of uh, right out of Penn State, right? That was your start? Uh, right. Uh, that was a GE, but I st- my first 15 years, I was a GE for 20 years. The first 15 were actually in uh, financial services, GE Capital. So un- to- totally unrelated to healthcare. And um and I, you know, it got to the point where I, um, this is actually an interesting story. I got to the point where I just got a little, I think it uh, wasn't being fulfilled. I wanted to do something uh, with a little more societal impact. And, mm. and um, we were living in uh, the Chicago area. My wife said, look, we, we'd already moved like 10 times. We had young kids. And she's like, look, if you want to, why don't you look at GE Healthcare, which is in Milwaukee. I'm like, well, that's a long way. She says, well, you can drive, you know, uh, <laughs> we're not moving. It was a 75 mile drive each way. And anyway, long story short, I did that. I found myself sitting outside of Omar Ishraq's office and I was going to interview to be his head of M&A. And I was feeling pretty good about the uh, interview until I, can, I heard him in there talking and he was talking a lot of clinical terms and all of a sudden I got nervous. I mean, what do I have in common with this guy? So I basically went in there and said, look, I don't know anything about healthcare but I don't think you do very well at M&A and I'll help you do M&A if you teach me healthcare. And, and, and that's, how I, that's how I get into healthcare. That's excellent. Now, I was going to ask specifically about that. So you did not know Omar prior to uh, taking that job? No, not at all. Not at all. So four years later, you and he went to leave Medtronic. I'd love to know what, what was that conversation like for you? I mean, that is you're going from a deep pool into an even deeper pool. You're, you're all med tech. You're going to have to learn Right. Everything. What was that conversation like in and what caused you to make that move to Medtronic? You know, you know, for the first conversation, I'll never forget it was Omar telling me he was leaving uh, GE. And I was really surprised by this. Uh, I was a Starbucks in the Milwaukee area on a Saturday morning. He gave me the news and I was really disappointed. Uh, I was happy for him. You know, I really had a lot of faith in him and his vision. And I knew what he could do. Uh, 
on a bigger stage like Medtronic. You know, sad for for GE and myself at that time. He was uh, obviously a real mentor of mine and friend. And not that the friendship would end, but it would be a little different. And I was, you know, I was really happy to hear. Like, you know, about a month later, he called me from from you know, it was during his really his first week at Medtronic, and said, "Look, I could really use your help." And, um, you know, it was a big decision for me. I was 20 years of G at that point and had just gotten a, a promotion and was feeling pretty good about things. And this is before, you know, some of the problems that, 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 that are now plaguing G really were starting to surface. And, you know, I thought I'd be a GE lifer. So it was a big move. But when, the more I researched Medtronic and MedTech, the more intrigued I came and, and realized you're going to, in MedTech, you're that much closer to the patient than, than you are with like in, in the imaging world, like we were in GE. And, and then I read about the Medtronic mission and Omar told me about it. And, and I started to meet some of the other executives at Medtronic. And I, I, I was, I was sold. I told my wife, we really got to do this. And she goes, well, then who's telling our daughter, Emily, who was 12 at the time. And that was the most difficult decision was facing my 12 year old daughter who was really happy in Milwaukee at that time. Oh my goodness. No, that's a, that's a tough one to have. So you went to Medtronic was the idea that he needed your help in acquiring and, and building the company because you've become a big part of the Covidian acquisition a few years later. Was was there a plan in place that we need to get bigger? We need to become deeper and broader? I think, no, initially it really was. We, you know, look, man, doing M&A is a, is a core strength of Medtronics. And, and uh, you know, we had a guy running M&A at that time who, who ended up reporting into me in my role of was head of M&A and strategy. But really what uh, my first couple of years here was really working with Omar and the rest of the senior leadership team to frame his strategy and, and, and framing the strategy of the company, what we were going to do differently. And, and really, how do you take that strategy, that vision, turn it into a strategy and then turn it into uh, some specific work streams and, and, and action and make sure that the whole company is bought into it. So working with Omar and the rest of the leadership to pull together that strategy and then drive it across the company. That's where I spent most of my time. It wasn't, you know, I did a lot of uh, M&A work, but I think most of my time was on the strategy until Covidian. And then once Covidian happened, it was, uh, that was all in for, you know, like a year and a half of, of work on that. Curious, do you still feel or sense the contrast between life, life outside a med tech company and in a med tech company? Do you still have that appreciation of the differences, whatever they are? I do. I, you know, it, it's, you know, what we're doing at Medtronic and, and other med tech companies, this, this whole market, this idea, this market creation of taking in an idea, first of all, working with physicians to identify an unmet need in healthcare, you know, like, like a crazy idea, hey, we can deliver this heart valve through a catheter. Let's try that. You know, I mean, I don't know who thought that up, but then somebody thinks that up and then we go to work, uh, our engineers go to work to, to make that happen. And, and then, then we start doing some clinical work on, uh, and, then, and then, you know, to prove safety and then eventually efficacy. Then you're working with the reimbursement agencies and payers and governments around the world. And then you push it out to your, your field force to make a global standard of care. That magic is uh, very unique to MedTech. And I would argue that Medtronic has been the leader in that area for MedTech. And it, it is just something that is awe-inspiring to, to be a part of, and it really is motivating. 
Let's just review a little bit of your quarterly uh, numbers this morning. Uh, I think most keenly, it was it was a, a strong showing. How would you characterize this quarter to last, given that we're living still in in this this COVID world, hopefully for only a few months longer? The the uh, recovery uh, continues to be you know faster than than people anticipated. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we anticipated. And look, I credit the the hospitals, uh, the the executive teams, and the physicians and the healthcare workers at the hospitals have really it, it, you know. There's no way to describe it. it it's, it's innovation and just a resolute commitment to patients. I mean, they innovated the way they, they work. And you see it in our space, like in, in the cardiac rhythm space, where we have pacemakers and implantable defibrillators and insertable uh, monitoring devices. This is a space that has really moved to more of a remote space now. What I mean by that is the physician conducts a procedure to, to implant the pacemaker but with remote Bluetooth technology now, we can arm the Medtronic rep can program that pacemaker at the time of the uh, procedure. We can program that from outside the room. When a patient who has a pacemaker needs to come in for their quarterly checkup to make sure the pacemaker is working okay, that they don't need to do that anymore. We can do that you know, remotely because that pacemaker now is plugged into the cloud and we can remotely diagnose is the, is the pacemaker working the way it's supposed to. When that patient might need to go to the emergency room, you know, the way it's worked historically is no hospital will touch that patient until Medtronic has come in to check to make sure the pacemaker is working properly. Then they can attend to their, let's say, broken ankle or whatever. That now is done remotely. All of that technology was there pre-COVID, but it really hadn't taken off. And now the hospitals have rallied around that and really saved a lot of foot traffic in the hospital both from Medtronic, you know, industry uh, people, from patients having to come back. So things like that, there's examples galore like that where hospitals have just innovated using technology to, you know, speed up this recovery and allow patients to, uh, you know, resume to, uh, you know, elective procedures. And you were you quoted you were quoted and you said that uh, when asked when things are going to go back to normal, this was at Advermed, you said, I don't want to go back to normal. Right. You go to the new normal, which I thought was great. What are you happen to be sort of leaving behind. It sounds like that would be one example of that, but are there other parts of the med tech industry that maybe this this pandemic, which is a horrible thing, has is, is at least forced us to kind of grow out of? You know, for us, this is more of a Medtronic and maybe other companies feel the same. And I think they do, as I've talked to other companies, not just in med tech, but other executives at companies across uh, around the world. The idea that the pandemic forced us to, for us in particular, with the ventilator work that we were doing, to just innovate quickly because literally lives were on the line and it felt like every minute counted. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out a way to dramatically ramp our uh, production of these ventilators and at the same time, improve the functionality. Uh, Physicians were asking us to be able to remotely control these ventilators so they didn't have to enter the, the ICU with all these sick COVID patients all the time to track, to monitor patients. Can you monitor them remotely? Can you change the settings remotely? There's all kinds of, can you put two patients on one ventilator? All kinds of requests for innovation. And, and I think, you know, the story, we really uh, stepped up and, and, you know, innovated quickly. Mm. And what I learned was like, look, when we focus, first of all, I learned uh, because we put a, a SWAT team on this that included myself, my predecessor, Omar, the, a lot of executives in our ventilator business and our, across our, our cross-functional team. We cut through so much bureaucracy and, you know, uh, levels, levels in the organization melted away, silos melted away. And with this focus, we were able to do a lot of things really quickly. But in doing all this, I realized how much bureaucracy that we needed to cut through. And so 
what I don't want to go back to is that kind of uh, environment where there's mm-hmm. too many approvals needed to get something done, too many layers in the organization, and in, in many ways, a lack of focus where we're trying to do everything and in the end, we don't do anything, right? And so a company with the resources like Medtronic, we can do uh, almost anything, but we just can't do everything. So picking your spots and focusing is, is, is a big one. And then changing the organizational structure. We've delayered the organization, decentralized the organization, and, and, and really trying to drive this innovative, you know, this, this uh, renewed uh, sense of urgency in, in, in innovation that is really exciting. So there's a lot of energy here, and I don't want to go back to where we were pre-COVID uh, from that regard. How much of this reorganization reflects the lessons you learned from that strike team responding to COVID? Or, or was this the plan anyway, and it just happens to be coincidentally timed after this pandemic? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I remember in uh, January at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, um, you know, I wasn't CEO yet, but I was president of the company and the secession was clear uh, that I would take over in, in, in April. And I was telling... Uh, investors that I really, we really, and, and not just me, but the rest of the executive team, we talked about going from one $30 billion company to mm-hmm. $31 billion companies and, and allowing our businesses, which really are, are defined by, um, the, the, they're focused around a set of uh, very specific conditions, like whether it be uh, cardiac arrhythmias or or uh, AFib or, or back surgery, you know, back pain. They're very focused and they're focused on a set of phys- specialist physicians and they're defined really by the, the, the cadence of their innovation. That is the key. And so by decentralizing and making them smaller, it wasn't about the size, it was more about the focus. That we thought could, would, could speed up the pace of innovation. And when we got into the, the COVID pandemic and the ventilator crisis, and we saw firsthand what it was like, I saw firsthand what it was like to get little things done, like a change of, of a different supplier to a product and all the bureaucracy that went with it. It really inspired, I'd say, being more aggressive with this, moving faster and probably broader mm-hmm. than we otherwise would have on this, on this movement. Uh, but it, it, the, the whole idea of this $31 billion business has started pre-COVID, but really accelerated during the pandemic. Well, let's talk about how they're going to work. I mean, you did a great job laying it out on the analyst day. There's, there's, you did a wonderful job with the AV. The slides are great. I think the video stuff is just, I, mean, I wish everybody did it that way. How do you, though, see these companies existing by themselves. So we'll, we'll, people listening to this, they own smaller companies, they want to do business, right. these verticals. What is that engagement going to look like? Uh, it's great to say they're going to have all this autonomy and they're going to be able to make decisions on their own, but what will that really look like? Right. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, well, the, the key benefit here is by unnesting these businesses, um, we want to make sure there's clear line of sight to that end market what those patients and those physicians need in that end market. And also, quite frankly, what's the competitive dynamic? Who are your competitors? And I want to know at a very granular level, what is their product cadence? Because as we're making trade-offs across the business, we may accelerate uh, a particular uh, a product uh, because we see a, a competitor coming at us and we don't want to seed that kind of share. So the, the transparency it provides is, is great. And so you're getting back to your, your question. Now that we have that transparency, we're setting a level of expectation that I want you to grow at or above the market and what's it going to take. And, and so we're getting us very specific feedback from these businesses on what they're going to need from a 
uh, a funding, uh, whether it be R&D or maybe acquisitions, with the goal of growing at or above the market. And in some cases, some of our businesses have the opportunity to completely redefine the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll make a few of those bets as well. And so the idea is, look, we're going to have less distractions. You're not going to, you know, you you own the P&L in these businesses. You pull the levers. Uh, we really cut out a lot of meetings that we had these people coming to that really weren't tied to their end of their their, their end markets and their business that they were running. Uh, we, we really put back the P&L. Our P&L, after, after COVIDian, Medtronic moved to this fairly rigid matrix, you know, that had three legs. You had the businesses, you had the regions and the functions. We collapsed that matrix back in under the businesses for the most part. And so we put Humpty Dumpty back together again, you know, the business, the P&L, they have their, all have their own sales forces. And so they have all the levers to pull, but with that comes accountability. And, and, and there's, a, there's an expectation to grow at or above your market in a consistent fashion. So with that kind of empowerment comes accountability. And now, there are certain things, you know, there are limits and there are certain things where we've said, look, you've got all this empowerment, but for this short list of things, right? It used to be the other way around. Well, there's this long list of things that you, you, you had to go to the mothership for. Now it's a short list. Mm-hmm. And that list is things like manufacturing uh, footprint. Look, we don't think every little business needs to have their own plant. We've got a network of plants. Use that if you don't like it, or if there's some reason, you can go use a, co- a contract manufacturer. When they do it, I'd like to understand why, because maybe we're missing something in our existing operational footprint. But we think we can control quality better in our manufacturing the way we, when it's coordinated more from an enterprise basis, and we can keep costs down. It's not just the factories, but also our distribution network and how we move product around the world. Mm. Um, so that's one thing that's more enterprise controlled, but still the decisions are made by the business. If they don't like it, they can just like a startup, they can go to a contract manufacturer. Most of these startups in med tech don't start with their own factory. They use contract manufacturing. So we let our businesses do that. Sure. Another thing that would be controlled more by the enterprise would be strategic customers. So if, if, if a customer like you know Cleveland Clinic wants to deal with a deal, cut a deal across Medtronic, we're giving them a, a regional point of contact, a strategic account manager that can cut that kind of a deal. He or she may, to do that contract, may make trade-offs on pricing from one business to the next in order to benefit the larger Medtronic. And the businesses, you know, we're asking, we're telling them that you got to go along with that pricing. Now, we look at that every quarter to make sure we're not harming a particular business. But those, there's a short list. It's, it's, it's the, it's the uh, strategic customers. It's the manufacturing, and th- those are the two big ones. Uh, and, and again, the other area that's not being controlled by the enterprise, but it's being offered up, is certain technology platforms like robotics. We'll have a robotic center of excellence, mm. and we have several businesses that have robots, and they have the option to pull robotics technology from these centers of excellence, but they don't have to. So we're making it more of an opt-in uh, with very few exceptions, like I said, strategic customer pricing and uh, manufacturing. So it sounds like if I'm a smaller entity, I will really the point person will exist within one of those 20 businesses. There may be some conversations with others a higher up, but really your, your primary person is going to be in that smaller business. There, you, you, you mentioned, and I didn't keep count, but competition is a big word of yours. And uh, I enjoy following yeah. you on social media. You had a video of Carol Lawson from Duke right. talking about versus hard work. What does what does competition 
mean to you and how and what should it mean to Medtronic employees? You can clearly see it in, in, in your team, your executive team, how they can measure their, their success in competition, salespeople for sure. But when you get down to engineers or people running trials, how should they how should they interpret that competitive uh, nature or, or spirit that you're you're definitely trying to instill? Well, first, the biggest uh, you know thing point I want to make is the, the the why behind the competitiveness. Why is this so important for Medtronic? We're a mission-driven company. We talk about putting patients first. We talk about market, you know, creating new healthcare markets. The why is important because the markets uh, that we plan have gotten so much more competitive over the years. You know, as you know, a Tom, uh, a startup has relatively easy access to capital. Um, and, um, you know, they can innovate a device that's, there's a, like I, I tell our employees, there's an engineer and, and his dog in some garage somewhere uh, that can, with an idea that could disrupt one of our big businesses. And we need to understand that. And then you've got competition coming from other, you know, from China now. I mean, it's just, it's very competitive. And if we want to carry out our mission, which is to create these new uh, wonderful therapies and globalize them. Once we do that, we've got to be able to hold on to our share. You know, we create new markets and then historically we've let competition come in behind us and take big chunks of that market too quickly. And we don't get the full financial return for that we need for our shareholders and for ourselves to keep funding it. So the market share is, is a source of fuel that fuels our, our invention and market development which is really the um, mission-driven nature of Medtronic. And so you have to make that connection. And so it's super important because this innovation doesn't come free, right? It's, uh, you know, clinical innovation, technical innovation is very expensive. And so we have to do a better job at holding on to this share. And And this is not just about sales. This is about everybody in the company. You mentioned engineers. So one way to, the best way to hold on to your market share is to innovate. Right. If we're constantly innovating, then that's a good way. Let me give you an example. In the uh, in the cardiac rhythm space, there's a cardiac uh, insertable. It's not implanted. It's like inserted just below the skin. Uh, a product called that we call Link, and it, it uh, monitors cardiac arrhythmias. It it monitors AFib uh, that could cause stroke, and it's something that 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 has like a five. Our new Link Two device has like a four and a half five year battery life, and it's low energy Bluetooth, so you, we, we, we see all this data in the cloud and can do all kinds of analytics. And we created that market. And it's really, it's been wonderful for patients. It's been wonderful for us. And it's now like, you know, $700 million, $800 million business for us. And now we've got, you know, Boss Abbott had came into the market and Boston Scientific just recently came into the market. But despite that, we have held our over 80% share because we're constantly innovating. We're on our fourth generation device they're coming out with their first generation device. It doesn't effectively compete. In the past, in businesses that I actually took over, that wasn't the case. New competition came in and our 100% share position went down to like 30% because we're like, well, there's three of us, let's split it one, two, three. Well, no, that's not the way, it, that, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We got to hold on to that share. And that economics is what's funding other parts of our business. Things like renal denervation, that'll be one of the biggest things to happen in public health in a long time. Things like the soft tissue robot, they cost money. These other businesses need to be more competitive, hold on to their share to help fund the fuel for our mission. Do you see these businesses competing with each other? 
Not really. No. You know, we talk about that. I mean, look, it's such a mission driven company. When I started talking about competitiveness, it's interesting you picked up on this. You know, one question was, well, can you still be competitive and be mission driven? And I'm like, I went through that whole explanation Mm -hmm. I just gave you. Yes and yes. And then they say, well, is that going to drive internal competition? And I talked about this with our leadership team, our top 200 uh, leaders just last week. And I'm okay with a little friendly competition inside the company. Uh, but we don't have overlapping markets where we're competing. You know, we don't want to be competing in front of the customer. But I think it's okay for businesses within Medtronic to strive to be the, the higher growth businesses or the ones that produce the most cash flow. I mean, we need the whole package to work together. We have some businesses that are like rocket ships that are growing really fast and, and throw off less cash. We have others that are like, uh, there's a minimum level of growth that we need, but they more mid single digit growth, but throwing off much more cash that we can reinvest in innovation and M&A. Everybody has their role. And I, I you know, we have like a friendly, uh, we call them the peak performance awards uh, for which businesses is winning these different awards of growth or new product launches. That type of friendly competition is good. But you know, what I really want to drive is these businesses, you know, sharing best practices, sharing technology platforms across, which will make Medtronic better. And that's kind of the culture that we're trying to drive is ultra competitiveness outside the company, right? With, you know, in a a very appropriate way. I mean, because we're all in healthcare together and and then inside the company, a little bit of a friendly competition, but we are starting to build these technology development centers where the businesses are sharing technology platforms, it makes everybody better. It makes our innovation faster, more efficient, and higher quality. I know we only have a few more minutes. So the last thing I want to hit upon was I, I listened to the analyst day yesterday. I watched it again. In that, you mentioned the decline in, in trust in governments and institutions. And it was in October. <laughs> Here we are a month later in November. Yeah. That, that dynamic seems to have gotten worse in, in many ways. How do you, as a, as a leader... Of, a, of an institution. Well, how are you going to address it? How do you view that problem and, and what can you and Medtronic do about it? Well, look, I, I, I do think uh, large organizations um, uh, like Medtronic need to play a bigger role in, in society than maybe we have in the past. Uh, you know, I remember in the 70s, there was a famous Harvard case study or whatever that said companies are supposed to just, you know, they're built for profit, you know, follow mm-hmm. the rules and maximize your profit. I think that dynamic today has changed. And and society's changed. You know, the fact that we're an innovation company, and innovation is still a people game. We need to have the best and brightest people working at Medtronic. And that's the most important thing. Yet the best and brightest people today want to work for a company that stands for something. And I see this like in, in some countries like China. I saw it years ago where, you know, employees are attracted. They don't, they don't, aren't, there's not as the same dynamic as the United States where there's churches and college allegiances and all these other affinity groups outside, you know, they look to the company as a source of pride and affinity. And that's happening in other parts of the world too, like the United States. I mean, people want to work for companies that stand for something now, and they want it to drive societal change. And, and so we're not going to try to solve all the world's problems, but, you know, we're one being in the healthcare business that, that helps a lot. You're in a, a business that people like, cause you're helping people, but also some of these society issues that we're seeing around the racial strife and, and inequality. These are something that's right in our mission, uh, written 60 years ago by our founder, Earl Bach. And, you know, we have uh, a number of tenants in the mission that, that specifically address an inclusive and equitable environment for employees and 
being a good citizen in the communities that we operate. So reaching out beyond the four walls of Medtronic and making a difference. And so I, I do think this is something that one, it's, it's our employees want to do it. And, and two, it's strategically important for Medtronic because it is a huge recruiting and retention tool. We need the best people. They want to work at a company like this. And so it all works. Is it harder to, in this culture where we seem to be more divisive, is, is that becoming a challenge for leaders like yourself? Maybe not Medtronic specifically, but with just different feelings and strong leanings. Yeah, it is. It is. You've got, look, we've got 90,000 people and, and about half of those uh, are, you know, maybe not half, maybe 30,000 or so in the United States. And yeah, you know, obviously there are people that are on the left and on the right. When you have a cohort of employees that big, you're gonna, it's gonna reflect what we're seeing in 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 society. And I'll I'll use the United States as an example. And I do get emails from employees that are way more left leaning or may more right leaning, and and you know maybe really excited or offended by uh, something you know that that we did as a company or I said personally and in a public forum. But you know, so you've got you know you've got to pick something you know on these social issues got, I'd say two that are for, uh, first and foremost for us that are, one is just the access to healthcare. We're a healthcare company. And, and as we speak, you know, I think we, you know, we're working with a number of other uh, hospital systems and payers and other uh, med tech and pharma companies to address health inequities around the world. And, you know, more on that, I hope to be able to talk to in the next couple of months. Um, but, but the other is inclusion uh, and, and, and diversity and, and that is an, you know, like I said, it's right in our mission. And it's a, there is a huge authentic commitment at Medtronic. And, and uh, these topics are controversial, but it's one that, uh, you know, I personally and, and the company's leadership have decided to, to really lean into. And this goes back to, to my predecessor, Omar, who I know you've, you've talked about on some of your past podcasts. And I actually got, I saw that you had Art Collins on the other day as well. But, you know, this is something that um, is really an authentic commitment from the company. And, and so we're picking our spots. And, and those are the two big ones, health access and, you know, inclusion, diversity and equity. And that those are the ones that we're really focused on because we, we want to focus and make a difference. I know you need to go, but it's funny you mentioned Art because he had mentioned the metric that he had, I think, created. Yeah. followed of, t- of touching patients. How many patients, and you referenced that today on the analyst call. Yeah, I know. It was because it was, it was he sent me the email and he said, hey, look, I was on, you know, the device talks with Tom and he asked me a question about you and I just wanted you to know that, you know, here it is. So, you, you know, and so I listened to it and, and I was really, I didn't know that he was the one that started that metric because it is the, the most important metric in Medtronic. And I, I know it predated Omar. It was here when I got here. Uh, and when, um, when, when Omar first got here in 2011, it was like one patient every five seconds. And now it's two patients per second. And, 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 and listening to your podcast, like last night, I got the email from Art maybe third, like uh, j- just Monday or, t- or Sunday. And then I, I listened to it last night. It, that's why it was fresh in my mind. And now I'm starting to think, though, two patients every second, as, as great as that is, you know, it's still only 80 million people. <laughs> Uh, and, and there's seven and a half billion people in the world. And so there's huge opportunity for us. And technology is the answer here. You, you know, we're coming out of this pandemic. Healthcare has been, been highlighted. You know, we've seen the importance of healthcare in this pandemic, right? It's, it's forefront on every, in everybody's mind. And we also have this whole concept of the, 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 the racial inequities and this whole concept of driving more equitable society. Healthcare is a big part of that. So how are we going to drive more healthcare access but do it efficiently, right? Because the, the, the whole world's taking all this debt. Healthcare is super expensive. So how are we going to do it? There's only one answer, and that's technology. And here we are, the world's largest technology company in healthcare, uh, in med tech, 
we've got to be part of this solution. So it's really a very, in my mind, inspiring call to action is for us to, to, to step up and play bigger uh, uh, than we've got done in the past. And I'd love to see like a number of healthcare companies and other med tech companies to do the same. Although when they do it, we're going to compete like hell against them. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. I really appreciate the time. I know you have a busy day and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. Really enjoyed it. All right. And we're back. Lots of great thoughts from, from Jeff Martha. Great to have him on the program. And uh, he follows us on social media, Chris. Yeah. So uh, others should as well. How can they find you there on LinkedIn and Twitter? I am on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a, a new marker. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, uh, at Newmarker. And uh, just uh, just always always happy to network and talk with people. Uh, actually, really cool kind of feedback I've been getting on LinkedIn recently from you know people saying they, uh, they enjoy our podcast. That's great. That's always great to hear. Yes. Never tire of hearing people say they like the yeah. podcast so feel free to be uh, generous with those comments glad people are having fun getting med tech news from the, the uh, from us uh, crazy goofy <laughs> guys so thank you we, we are crossover appeal baby that's right they can find me on linkedin as well i am tom salemi and on twitter i am at medtech tom for the final couple of weeks chris i mean as people connect or if they're already connected i suppose any of people have thoughts or inputs on top stories or, or news of the week absolutely let's, let's hear about it yeah share it yeah Tweet let me know Bring it up on LinkedIn. Comment on our uh, on our post. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, it's been a uh, super interesting year, both in our industry and for us covering the industry and the way we've had to adapt and do things differently to, to make sure folks get the news and connections. So uh, we'd love to hear how folks on the front lines are uh, are coping. Yeah, I definitely I definitely like close with the sentiment that man, it is it feels like we've gone through ten years worth of news this year. So here's the here's the hoping for uh, may peace full relaxing 2021 let's just uh let the good times roll we've only been working together for a year and, and i think we're we're starting to look alike me and you chris newmarker we're like that that old couple yeah we got the beards both got beards <laughs> mine's uh, grayer than yours uh, <laughs> excellent folks thanks for joining us in this episode of the device talks weekly podcast don't forget if you subscribe you'll receive future podcasts sent directly to your listening device so uh, please do it we do have some great interviews coming up in december you won't want to miss any of them and uh, do share this podcast on social media put us on linkedin put us on twitter and if you do so tag chris and myself we'd love to be part of those conversations all right we'll tune in next week we'll have another great episode of the device talks weekly podcast waiting for you see you next week